Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live on stage and without notes. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, we've put everything out on the table. The periodic table. It's the slam from our flagship season, Brave the Elements, held on March 26, 2019 at Jump, our all-ages venue in downtown Boise. During the slam, we randomly drew names and a few storytellers went totally metal with their stories inspired by the theme, Aluminum. Get into your element. It's story time. Bean. All right. Okay, so my aluminum story is uh, I was a traveling nurse in 1981, and I went to Port Lavaca, Texas, the port of the cows. It's about 30 miles west of uh, Victoria and about 100 miles west of uh, Houston. A little 80-bed uh, hospital, but the, there's a Reynolds aluminum factory there which employed a great many people. I uh, worked in this little eight-bed critical care unit. really wasn't a critical care unit. They called it a special care unit. And uh, the ER. And uh, with these two LPNs that were uh, shrimp boarders when they weren't working at the hospital. <laughs> I was the only RN. And the EKGs would just die. I'm like, where did EKGs go? They say, oh, honey, we pull up this muscle, stick the screwdriver in, and shove it in back there, and it comes right back on. <laughs> well, there's an old show alert. And so I had a six-week contract, and in the first 10 days, I had three codes. And I'm like, that's V-fib. We have to defibrillate them. They go, go ahead, honey. We'll help you. That's essentially, we have to do chest compressions. We're so glad to have somebody here that knows what they're doing. <laughs> I'm thinking, but I'm not supposed to be running the codes. I am ap- operating outside the scope of my, my skills. I shouldn't be doing this. And the LPNs, uh, I worked like 311 and 11 to 7, 16 hours. One LPN would pick me up, take me to work, and then the other LPN, uh, she worked 311, and then the 11 to 7 LPN, she would take me home. But we would, we would stop at uh, a crap store every morning and buy a six pack of beer, and she got three and I got three. And that helped us sleep. But after running those codes, and I was just like, I just can't do this. So I told this horrendous lie and said, my mother has to have open heart surgery and I have to come home. (laughs) I didn't want to be stuck 2,000 miles without a plane ride home. So I came home and I told my husband, Danny, that I I think I'm through traveling. And he would never um, stop me from doing anything I wanted. He was always very encouraging. But I could tell he was happy. And I went back uh, to St. Luke's and went to the newborn intensive care unit where I worked for 32 years and finish my career after 40 years. Thank you. Gary, come on up, you have five minutes. Oh, he's right here. Five minutes. Hey, welcome. 
So my first introduction with aluminum was when my father bought a 1972 Vega. I love the people already know the end of the story. So anyway, uh, I was six or seven years old and uh, wasn't really familiar with the properties of aluminum, but aluminum has some pretty amazing properties. It, uh, it's two and a half times lighter than steel. It's actually even lighter than, than titanium. In fact, it weighs 80% of titanium. Titanium is stronger per weight, but there are so many things that are made out of aluminum. Most supercars are made almost entirely out of aluminum. So my father announced that the Vega, it was this really cool car. It had aluminum cylinder heads. It was really light. It was this space age material. And back then in 72, cars were super heavy. They were, they were just these boats. Couldn't even tell the road was down there. You take a turn and the car still keeps going straight and eventually it would, would go in the right direction. And so anyway, he, he buys his Vega, which weighs 2,000 pounds. And I don't know if you can appreciate how light that is. There's really no car out there that weighs 2,000 pounds. A Prius weighs 3,000 pounds. And that's one of the, the lighter cars. Very few cars weigh under 3,000 pounds. And this is 2,000 pounds. This was a this was like a racy little car. It replaced a, uh, a Malibu, which was 4,000 pounds, literally twice the weight. Got in this car, and it was like this sporty little thing. You could feel the road. You, you were like one inch off the ground. It was just, it, it was an exhilarating experience. And, you know, my father, you know, with this, this new car with this aluminum cylinder head, it was like, wow, we're, we're like, uh, we're, you know, we're fancy now. We're, we're driving a sports car. And, so anyway, to the, uh, the response, uh, we all know that the Vega is not a sports car. <laughs> in fact, in 1972, there were only two cars that were cheaper than the Vega. There was the Gremlin and the Pinto. And only by $100. And if you notice, you won't see any Vegas in any period piece at all. There's all these old shows and there is not a Vega to be seen in any of these. You'll see, you'll see Pintos and Gremlins. In fact, out there, it's like a car museum. I, I came from Vermont and cars would never last all that long. Whereas here, I've never seen a Vega. I've seen every single car. I've seen Pintos, I've seen Gremlins, I've seen every crappy car out there. Never seen a Vega. In fact, this Vega, it lasted um, seven years. Didn't even make it to 75,000 miles. The thing practically rusted apart. The, the fenders were just covered in rust. But the worst part about it is it barely ran. And it burned so much oil that my father would go around bumming all the neighbors and everyone we worked with for their oil that they used when they changed their oil. And that's what he would put in the thing. And he put over a quart in a week. This thing just burned nonstop. He ended up selling it to my sister's friends brother who man barely managed to get it home and never ran again. Seven years. So what is wrong with the Vega? Yeah, the aluminum. Turns out that aluminum expands much more than steel does when it's heated. So there was a, a, a mismatch of the expansion between the aluminum and the steel, which caused all kinds of problems. In fact, Aluminum has a, an expansion coefficient of 24, steel is 13. It's almost twice 
the expansion rate. So, yep, it was the aluminum. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Chuck Vanderhoff, your story on aluminum. Here he comes. It's like we're opening a mysterious door for Chuck to walk through. Well, my story about aluminum starts back in 1970. Um, back then, I grew up in Homedale, and during the off-summer times, there weren't a lot of ways for teenagers to earn money. And money was the object that drove everything, which was mainly our cars. And so we decided that we were going to recycle aluminum. And thank goodness, my brother-in-law owned a bar in Homedale. It was a beer bar, and so Coors was the beer of choice at that time, and he had just a ton of aluminum back in his storage room. I don't know what he was gonna do with it, but I said, can we recycle that? He says, go for it. So me and three other buddies find a Dodge Seneca, 1958 Dodge Seneca station wagon, and we decide to load it up and bring it over to Boise. So we start shoveling aluminum cans into the back of the station wagon. And we get it full, and there's still a bunch of aluminum cans left to go. Okay, that's not gonna work, so we take that load to my house, we unload it, and we start stomping cans. Because <laughs> if aluminum has a 24 coefficient for expansion, it has a 100 coefficient for <laughs> squishing. So we squish down the cans that we had, load it back up, go get another load, squish those down, and then we decide, all right, we're gonna go on our big trip. And if you're from Homedale, going to Caldwell was going to a city. <laughs> going to Boise was like the major trip of your life. <laughs> so we load up all these squished Coors cans, jump on the short expansion of freeway that used to exist over there, and we get off, and you have to get off, and you have to come through Meridian, and then you had to come up Fairview Avenue, and then we finally found Coal Road, and believe it or not, the recycling place is the same place it was then, out there on Coal Road, but then it was out in the middle of nowhere. We pull in there and we say, all right, we've got some aluminum. He says, over there, guys. So we go over there and we shovel our aluminum off. They weigh it, I think it was like 60 pounds or something like that, and I think we got $15. <laughs> so the four of us, we were satisfied. There we had $15 to divide amongst the four of us, and you have to remember, back in 1970, gas was only like 29 cents a gallon. So we loaded that Dodge Seneca up full of gas so we could get back to, back to Homedale. And we came on back, and we just had a good time. <laughs> but there's one, one closing thought I want to give you. That, that Dodge Seneca was an amazing, amazing vehicle. I um, moved sprinkler pipes during the summer to... Uh, make money, and that's another aluminum tie-in because sprinkler pipes were all made out of aluminum. But anyhow, my buddy who owned the Dodge Seneca, he came out there, and the shop where the farmer used to bring in his tractors to change the oil and everything, he would store the oil, he would keep it. 
And so one day this Dodge Seneca, which went through oil faster than that Vega, I bet, <laughs> he needed some oil. So he goes in, and the farmer had kept bulk oil there. And so he goes over, and these bulk oil bins have a crank, and he puts the oil can underneath there, and he cranks it out, and you see this, this thing that it's almost recognizable as oil. It's kind of sludge. It comes in, blum, blum, blum. And I go, Virgil, Virgil, what are you doing? He says, oh, I need some oil. And that's how Virgil talked. I need some oil. I said, you're not going to put that in the car, are you? He said, yep, that's what the oil filter's for. <laughs> Thank you. Please welcome to the stage Patty O'Hara. My story goes back to when I was seven years old. I won't tell you what year that was. It was so way, way back. And I received an invitation to a birthday party. It was a very special invitation. I'd been to birthday parties before, but this was a Protestant birthday party. <laughs> Betty was my new friend. We had just moved to Madison from Escanaba, Michigan. And I found out after meeting her that she wasn't a Catholic. She was Protestant, but that was kind of interesting. And I got an invitation to her party, and I, I had some preconceptions about Protestants. My dad was one, but I never asked him. But I, I heard that they, wear their, they don't wear underwear under their pajamas, for example, and they, they start drinking coffee when they're 12, so there were all kinds of really, they were mysterious. I had Protestant envy. Now I'm going to a birthday party, a Protestant birthday party. What's it going to be like? Well, I can tell you I was disappointed. It was just like any birthday party. We had uh, presents. I don't remember what Betty got. And we played games, pin the tail on the donkey, I'm sure, and probably musical chairs. But then it got interesting. Betty's mom, who looked like June Cleaver, brought out the birthday cake. This was, the, this was a Protestant birthday cake. It was so amazing. It was, I was sure it was. It was big and a little lumpy. It had candles on it. After Betty blew out the candles, oh, we do that too, that's cool. She, we cut the cake, and that's when it got interesting. Because each of the slices of cake, first of all, it wasn't angel food or devil's food, it was confetti cake. And embedded in those slices of cake were little aluminum foil wads, either embedded or they tumbled out of each slice. And Betty's mom, Mrs. Cleaver, said, those are surprises. <laughs> we said, oh. <laughs> And she said, you can open those surprises. So we did, and we couldn't open all of them. Some were kind of glued shut with a cake batter or, or molten. There was something in there. And, and so there was one that had a little parachute guy in it. Another one had a, a, a Bible that you could, you know, put your eye up to it. And it was a magnet. It was a Protestant Bible, though. It had the, <laughs> had the Lord's Prayer in it, but it ended wrong. It wasn't the way it's supposed to end. So, but it survived the baking. That was divine intervention, I thought. I really had Protestant envy now, wow. And some of them we couldn't open, and she made a game of it. Well, guess what it was? 
But then the fun began because now it's time to eat the cake. And let me tell you, there's a reason they don't make tinfoil bubblegum. Because we started to eat that cake. And I, when we had moved from Escanaba, Michigan, I'd gotten my first filling. It was in number 19, lower left. Yeah, yeah, fresh filling, fresh. And I bit into that piece of cake, so did my friends. And that's where I found out we have a lot in common because we all screamed. When you chew on tin foil, aluminum foil, you create a battery. I had a nine volt battery in my lower left jaw. I could have powered the Empire State Building with that. It was just, it was amazing, enormous pain. My story could end there because I don't remember what happened after that. I just thought, wow. And now I know what Protestants eat for birthday cake, right? But this is a, it's kind of a poignant story because I've thought of this story. I got some bad news about two weeks ago from my dentist, Patty, I'm sorry, but number 19, that lower left molar has to go. And he comes in with that mask on, he was operating on someone else and he pulls it off, he goes, it can't be saved. It's like, oh God, what? it's just a tooth for crying out loud. But it has stories. That's the tooth that bit the tint turned into a nine volt battery. It was really, we were close. If, it's the tooth that bit into the olive that wasn't an olive. It was a pit from the discarded pit jar. I mean, we had been through a lot together. It chewed number two pencils during, you know, hard tests and things over the years. And now it was going. It had been with me almost 60 years. So I've decided that when he pulls that tooth on April 1st, coming up, oh, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, April Fools. Um, that I, first of all, it's not number 19, that's cold. I'm gonna name it Al, right? <laughs> and I'm going to insist that after he pulls this, and I'll probably be under some nitrous oxide and I'll forget this, I'm sure, but what I'd like him to do, and I may request this before he gives me the mask, I'd like him to wrap it in tin foil, a little aluminum foil for me. And I'm gonna take it home and I'm gonna make a little shrine. And I'll forever remember Al and all the stories we've been together, including that Protestant birthday cake. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night receives support from the Boise Arts and History Department and is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, our season sponsor, Pettit Realty Group, and the Aluminum Show sponsor, Sage Yoga and Wellness. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello, and our musical guest was Jared Halleck. Support the storied program, get tickets to our live show, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night. If you would like to see our storytellers, check out our YouTube channel at Story Story Boise. You can also donate by phone, text flagship to 41444. Thanks for being a part of our story. 